Hello and welcome back to a third season of Mimazine On Air. I am Amy Swaby, host and journalist, and this season is all about game changers. Each week I'll be interviewing a different individual who's pushing for and driving change in their field. From business to environmental activism, we are going to hear it all. Today I'm joined with the lovely Emma Skew, soil scientist, environmental researcher and founder of Earth Minutes, a collaboration of environmental researchers and creatives sharing a strong ambition to drive global change for people and the planet. Their two fundamental values are creativity and optimism. Hello Emma and welcome to the show. Amazing, I'm excited to be here, thank you. People who haven't come across your work before, please could you just outline the work you do and the values it stands for? So I am the founder of Earth Minutes and Earth Minutes is an environmental communication service. I founded it last year and I'm on a mission to really make environmental learning as accessible as possible, as well as to make environmental messages, um, to communicate environmental messages more effectively uh, than has been in the past. And with that, I use two tools of creativity and optimism. I'm mainly based in the medium of film, but we, we have a creative team that branch out into photography, infographics, etc. And yeah, it's environmental learning is the specific topic of the company and our particular mission. I love how you first, like from the offset, you're talking about optimism. And that's often a word that we don't usually associate with climate justice and activism. How are you so optimistic and how do you keep this going? Yeah, no, you're so right. It's, um, I find it quite a tricky word. I know a lot of people find it an uncomfortable word as well. I think a lot of people, as soon as they hear the word, they kind of get their backs up about it or they, they probably don't um, resonate at the moment with it. Not in this current state of the pandemic anyway. A lot of people definitely don't feel necessarily optimistic about things, I guess. And um, that's where I kind of use optimism as more of a tool, I guess, than, than an emotion. I find optimism as a tool can be, especially when you're um, in the depths of climate action and as an activist in general, it can be quite overwhelming. And there's a lot of devastating news and quite honestly as well, the future is very uncertain. It can go one of two ways. And to to kind of drag yourself through that uncertainty and, and that unknown, that optimism can really cement that drive to want that better future. And I'm not going to give up. I want that better future. I'm going to get a better future um, for myself, for my family, for my younger generations. And that's where optimism can frame your action more so than, um, I guess, set your emotion. It's not a happy emotion. It's actually a pretty determined, gritty emotion from my perspective. Yeah, definitely. And, that's more like, determination like drive to keep going like resilience even yeah definitely it's like mindset re resilience to to climate change and I think to be honest as well to keep researching it and to keep driving action we're gonna need some mindset resilience because I mean I constantly have burnt out in the past you hit those brick walls and you kind of question whether you can actually help <laughs> in any shape or form so this optimism can kind of just refresh you and just put it in your mind that you can do this and you're going to do this and there's solutions out there you just have to keep keep working and keep going and how do you stay so optimistic and positive I know you've just said like burnout I know burnout is a real thing for people across so many different 
industries and platforms how do you personally deal with that and keep so optimistic because you have such an infectious energy it's fab it's amazing but it's god how do you keep going like especially when you feel like sometimes you are literally up against the world oh well I honestly get this question so many times and it does change. I do different things to keep me optimistic. And I'm, I guess I'm generally an optimistic person. I think to naturally be optimistic and want to look towards things being better, maybe that's a personality trait. Um, but in terms of analyzing what people can do to, to build this optimism and to, to kind of keep this and use this tool of optimism, I would recommend analyzing what makes maybe makes you feel slightly pessimistic about the world. And for me, a lot of um, news platforms can be a lot of the rooting problem of that. Mm. I think I'm very critical and very conscious about which news re um, resources and sources that I choose now and um, how often I go to the news as well. I think after the pandemic it's very hard to not check the news all the time um but in terms of social media as as said on the social social dilemma documentary recently the amount of fake news out there on socials is terrifying isn't oh, it no, it is crazy and especially because it travels six times faster than real news mm -hmm. which sadly didn't even surprise me but blew my mind i mean i'm from like a journalist background and that's like the career I'm striving for I'm very conscious now of checking the news and actually not just checking out of habit having like you said set times okay twice a day morning and evening have your news bites have your news times your news snippets but don't get that constant feed of often negativity which is mm. it's quite it's quite heavy sometimes it's a lot to carry throughout the day it's really heavy and and that's exactly what I mean by choosing your sources because there's definitely an overload of that kind of fake news that when it's um, so much kind of heavy devastation of there's, you know, there's no hope left, the world's ending, and then they kind of give you dates of when the world's ending, and it, it does get so overwhelming, and it doesn't help anyone's mindset, let alone someone who's uh, fighting for climate change. So I think for me, that's quite a major one. I, I've noticed that now that I, I'm more um, considerate with myself on that, that I can use news sources wisely for research purposes, more so than influencing, I guess, um, your mindset in general. And um, yeah, and other than that, I would really recommend uh, building networks and keep meeting people, having those small celebrations of what is being done because I always hit a brick wall and feel burnt out. And then meet somebody that's driving the most incredible campaign or, or doing something that's completely unheard of. I've met so many people that, um, like Cal Major is one in particular recently, who I worked with on the Now series, um, but she paddleboarded from Cornwall to the end of Scotland, um, which is incredible. But her campaign, Paddle Against Plastic, is something that it just so incredibly inspiring that sometimes you just need to hear that and to meet those people and to bounce off their motivation to then re-motivate yourself as well, if you understand. Um, yeah, definitely, like surrounding yourself with people who are like-minded, but also have that slight edge or slight different angle, just try and kind of reinvigorate you and like spark, relight the fire yeah. again. Totally. Uh, I was going to ask you about, we're backtracking, we've dived straight in. Your latest big project, the Now series, 
what is that? I mean, I think it's fab. It's so visually engaging. It's gorgeous to watch. I mean, can you just talk a bit about that and the different aspects of it and why, why you did it? Yeah, so uh, this stemmed back from last year when I really wanted to engage people in a different way. I worked through a lot of schools and unis kind of driving talks and workshops. And I constantly had the same old presentation <laughs> and it kind of got a bit to the point where I was like, oh God, how do I, you know, people can be inspired about the issue if it personally affects them or if they genuinely had an interest in it before, but how do I reach those people that have never heard about this before and to really implement that kind of uh, resonating drive to want to help. And so that's when I started kind of understanding how effective environmental documentaries are and series are and I, I noticed that a lot of people that watched including myself that watched environmental documentaries tend to have that curiosity beforehand about the environment maybe they're engaged about the environment beforehand and this is when I wanted to create something that was a lot shorter and a lot more impactful that could be shared on socials that could be more of a social um, media based project that people could accidentally stumble across and it might relate to their lifestyle or not. Um, and is the, the whole concept of how do we engage people that, that don't necessarily know about these issues or, or care about them, quite honestly. And I didn't care about those issues before I heard about them. And it's just acknowledging the best way to communicate these issues. And I really wanted it to be a series led by young people, for young people. I, there's so many awesome campaigners and activists out there. Yeah, we worked with an individual activist per episode and worked with different organisations, charities and companies across the series. And we, we couldn't narrow it down. We had so many people we wanted to speak to that, um, yeah, ended up being kind of like an overwhelming amount to try and fit in, especially with the pandemic on. That was, that was um, <laughs> pretty interesting but um overall it's a a short environmental youtube series that's a five-part series and um it covers plastic free periods slow fashion fisherman's kisses british farming and the final episode is the climate optimism so it kind of goes across the range of what is affecting people's lifestyles and how people can implement change in their lifestyles and i really wanted to identify issues that could relate um, to people on that level because otherwise chucking so many different environmental issues out there again can be super overwhelming. Yeah definitely it's that kind of balance between educating people and spreading the message but not also overwhelming people at the same time. Yeah, I mean for definitely. one I'm massively interested in sustainable fashion, slow fashion and then plastic free periods but I had no idea what fishermen's kisses were. I, I after watching it I now realise it's to do with the the nets because that the K knots if that's is that right the K yeah. um yeah. in fishermen's nets and net pollution causes something like two percent of marine plastic pollution mm. which is crazy nets aren't actually that that much plastic that's obviously they're full of holes for a reason but when you yeah. put it all together that is a lot of plastic pollution yeah and it's it that was one particular issue it wasn't only the name that stood out to me but the conversation surrounding that issue as well was just, it's just not there. There's just no conversation surrounding it. And to be honest, there is ways to work with fishermen to stop it. So that's where it's kind of like at our fingertips to, to change that. 
and and um, that's yeah I found it so, that was a really interesting topic for me that I really wanted to cover I thought the name was when I first heard of it I was like what on earth is this research I know, intrigue. I clicked and I was like Fishman's Kisses I mean what is this am I watching a dating show or an environmental series I loved it yeah a lot of people have said that and it's um the researchers in Cornwall have termed it that because of the small x shape of them and little x's little kisses um but yeah it is a really funny name and the other, yeah, like you said, with um, slow fashion and plastic free periods, I, I had the same interest with those topics from the start. But um, it wasn't actually until I met people that started to have those conversations with me that kind of drove it into why it impacts me and why it, I should implement that in my lifestyle. When I was actually filming the series overall, I, I scripted it quite a lot and I really wanted to get all the information in there, all the facts and figures. And then after a few times of trying to film it, it just didn't feel right. And we ended up just stripping the series completely back and just filming the conversations. We just thought, right, you know, here are a few questions. Just go and have a chat and just learn something. Go and find out a bit more about this issue and what you can do. And it was so interesting because those conversations that kind of naturally cropped up were far more interesting and in-depth and relatable than any conversation you can script or research. So I think that's really where my interest for the series started through conversations. So I ended up just filming those and replicating those conversations um, for other people to hear because they're, I think they're very important conversations to hear. I think that's so interesting and so true that actually it's the human connection, just the natural flow of conversation that engages people the best and people feel like in a way that you're talking to them, which makes it so much more relatable, a nicer, less daunting piece to watch. Yeah, I think that's it because in the sustainability world, it can feel like such an exclusive world. And sometimes people who don't maybe learn about environmental research, whether they're not doing geography or they're not necessarily doing a direct um, environmentally centered piece of work or um, education they kind of, it's a very hard world to just tap into I think people feel that they can't uh, relate to it or they're not included in it so I just wanted to make it just that strip back version and, and relatable to lifestyles because I mean these environmental issues do affect everybody in one way or another whether it's food related clothes related or health related it's um it's issues that really do impact people and people just it's very hard to connect the dots so if you just lay it on a table whether that one sentence or that one sector of the conversations kind of resonates with you that's where that engagement stems from I think that's where the, the that long-term interest stems from. I know that young people are at the forefront and really driving change uh, to achieve climate justice and really pushing with that sense of urgency although urgency and alarmist are two terms which are often quite confrontational and intermixed how first would you get that balance between the urgency that we need now but without alarming people and then also trying to like like you said trying to engage a wider audience and not just young people or people who are already interested yeah this is um this is always the battle i guess i think that's the always question, really isn't it <laughs> And it definitely um, it is the, the hardest balance to get right, especially when you're trying to include a tool like optimism, because 
you have to cement that urgency. Otherwise people do feel comforted that things are being done and that maybe it's not something that they need to take on board or implement in their lives. So that kind of alarmist attitude, I think it should be cemented as a foundation um, of any sort of communication. It does affect everybody. And again, I think it was, it was days in, in the climate optimism film that says this, but we are all on one planet and we are one global society. The point is, is if one area of the world is being impacted by something like climate change and, and being affected, that is affecting us in one way or another. And we have to collaborate in that sense. And it's not just a problem and not some people should be alarmed. We all should be alarmed. So the way I kind of addressed it was from a different perspective. And I, I tried to normalize it a little bit more, try to normalize these conversations so that it kind of, related to everybody on the level of, oh, it does, oh, that impacts me. Oh, this does relate to me. Oh, this, I should listen to this. And I didn't want it to feel like it's not kind of, I guess something like plastic free periods is a little different. It's for people who have periods and people don't. But again, that same issue of that ocean pollution that is different kind of sectors to that, that do impact people. Overall, I think the alarmist approach is fundamental it is the urgency is a driving factor that that should still drive people it's just how you maybe use that urgency and how you portray that urgency um, can definitely get different responses out of people and rather than the fear kind of driven approach i think you can do that urgency and optimism of that empowerment feeling of this is needs to be done now but you can do this now so go and do it I love that. I think that's so powerful in itself. And with climate anxiety, more and more young people are being diagnosed with depression and anxiety linked to the climate crisis and what was going on, especially in 2020, as we all have had a turbulent year, to say the least. How yeah. do you think climate anxiety can be for one managed and again it's all these overwhelming emotions isn't it it's, you've got the uh, urgency alarm climate anxiety and then again this optimism is climate anxiety something you personally deal with or are you quite aware of of it in your work yeah I think oh, this is such an interesting topic that's been this word has kind of been thrown around left right and center over the last couple it's of years buzzword at the moment, isn't it yeah but it's really interesting that the people who it's probably most affecting, which is a lot of students, because it's, at the end of the day, it's their future. Um, it's just not being addressed properly in schools or unis, and it's not being addressed properly in general to students. I guess it's not, um, it's still not got enough weight to it for people to include it in curriculums, mm -hmm. which is kind of a failure on the educational curriculum behalf, because it's, something that's impacting all young people. I think I sometimes think I'm really resilient and you kind of have to understand that you're not and you can't take all that pressure on your shoulders and that even if you don't think it's getting to you, it is, it is a really, a lot of heavy topics. And when you want to do so much and you've got no resources or, you know, there's a lot more powerful people than you that are doing nothing. <laughs> It, yeah, it's heavy and it's really distressing. 
and that anxiety just builds that that worry and that 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 fear and it kind of almost um what's the word destroys isn't it the fear it uh, is totally paralyzing that's the that's the right word it it paralyzes your action as well as your approach to to it in general to any environmental issue it can make you feel um also dissociated at times where they think oh is this really impacting me is it going to impact my me my lifetime it's not just as the young people who should be talking about this it should be considered through um curriculums it should be just considered more because it is something that is not only going to p- impact our lives but it's going to impact the other generations because ultimately it's this problem is going to kind of progress until it gets um, prevented I mean, I definitely have struggled with climate anxiety and, and eco-anxiety. There's so many different terms for it, but I do just find it a generalized pressure in my life. That's sometimes you can kind of feel totally on fire and motivated from it. And sometimes you can just feel just sapped of energy and hence the burnout and hence so much activism burnout is at the top of people's list for research at the moment to work out how to build this kind of activism resilience. I was going to ask you actually, what are your thoughts on the countdown climate clock in New York's Union Square? When I saw that, I was alarmed. And again, it was that fear that comes in like, oh my God, that's that's a very tangible thing now. I can see those seconds ticking down. And I wasn't sure, I've had, had many conversations with people about it, some people saying it's great because again, it drives that urgency, it's kind of the kick up the bum we all need to see, okay, it's in front of us now, we can't just, you know, stick our heads, heads in the sand anymore. But at the mm. same time, I think some people just go into panic and just feel really helpless and it's a bit too much and it's too confronting and it's all just literally the end of the world to them, that's just too much. I know it's um oh, it's such an interesting one because I'm so conflicted over it. Um, I think I wish I could put that clock in a lot of people's offices. <laughs> that need it. <laughs> Take it to the people um, who have the money to try and combat the change. I like it. Absolutely. Maybe target the clock a little bit, but um, <laughs> in terms of it being in in the square, I think for me, it, I guess it it is the, a human problem. It does again, as I've said, it does impact everybody. So everybody has the right to know that it's impacting them and that things you know should be changing and yes it is an alarming situation but i do agree that maybe that's not the most effective form of um communicating it i think it's it can i think it is too paralyzing although buttering up it a little bit and making it a little bit softer is not the best way to do it either i think a big clock in the middle of a square ultimately will kind of drive that cyclical downward spiral of people just panicking and feeling that oh well the world's gonna end anyway oh oh well it's not gonna nothing's gonna be changed and it's just gonna gonna go into no action do you think that is fueling the argument that it is already too late and we've just we we are too late we can't do anything about it to help i personally think that that kind of statement is fueling that it's a little bit too late um, I mean that's opening up a whole new can of worms with that argument. I think the thing with the the countdown as well, I think it does make it sound like it's too late because it makes it feel impossible. And for even um, the, my myself, who's totally motivated on just 
committing to driving action, it makes me totally panic and think, oh my God, how are we going to do this? The importance with the countdown though is to wake those people up who are not already awoken. <laughs> I know you touched on there that maybe it's the people with the the money and the power who actually could drive change. I know actually yeah. going back to a post you did on Instagram recently about Jeff Bezos who yeah. announced his first recipients of the Bezos Bezos Earth Fund. I can say it. The Bezos am I saying that? <laughs> I won't be able to say it. <laughs> Bezos Earth Fund recipient today giving 791 million dollars gave this to 16 organizations and in further in the post you said this is a great start but i don't want to celebrate this too much because quite frankly he should be doing this all billionaires should be doing this we have the solution to manage climate change and the lack of funding that has been and still is the major wall in preventing progress I can see what your thoughts are, but what do you want to see going forward from people like Jeff Bezos who are in power? Do you believe they have the funds to address this problem? Yeah, so I think um, I think you're so right when you said who are those people? Who are those people that should be exposed to this clock? Um, I think I've always been uh, kind of just sensitive to who you address and the whole kind of argument of who you accuse because there's no there's literally no point in pointing fingers because it's all impacting everyone and so everyone's kind of in it together but I do feel that in from a lot of conversations that I've had with different organizations and, and different companies there are definitely a few walls that shouldn't be there and that they're unfair to be there as well and those walls I think are a lot of billionaires they have a lot of resources and we have the solutions to climate change as um, the project drawdown um, in their recent drawdown review, which was released in January, 2020, they re released this report that shows that we can reach carbon neutral or, or carbon drawdown as they called it by 2040. I think it was 2040. And it just shows that we have those solutions, but, what's stopping it and you kind of go into trying to analyze why is it not progressing is it to do with kind of country collaboration is it to do with decision makers why are we not kind of implementing these resources now when we can and a lot of the time it's ultimately down to funding which is where i think billionaire billionaires play a huge role because i think recently the guardian as well released uh, an article about one percent of the population are um the kind of culprits i guess of um air pollution um airplane travel i think that was right one percent of the population caused 50 percent of aviation pollution which is so significant like that's that's huge and that does show that there is um i mean there's just an injustice here in terms of kind of financial own and financial responsibility and i do think a lot of billionaires should be responsible for implementing um, and supporting those climate change initiatives because they have the resources to do so and I think it should be an obligation for them to do so. I know that you can't just point fingers at the, the billionaires and say it's all down to you because that's a very easy thing to do but with someone like Jeff Bezos I, th I find it really interesting because a lot of people are complaining that he's not doing enough but I actually do think it's, an, an, it's awesome that people like Christiana Figueres, a lot of people have worked towards engaging him in these issues and, it, and it's working. He's starting to 
use his resources and putting them in for, for good of the planet and the people, which is ultimately what I think he should do. Obviously that again, is a very personal point of view, but I definitely think this funding issue is preventing climate change. I think a lot of people would agree and disagree with that. I don't know what your opinions are on that, if you agree. I definitely say I agree. The funding, a funding issue is really frustrating because we know globally there are funds that can be used and should should be used for climate justice and take action and action now. So I think you're right. I think it's opening up these conversations for people mm -hmm. who do have power and resources and potentially are interested in helping and do have that maybe moral responsibility but maybe don't know the extent or, mm. or have, been, have been kind of exposed to greenwashing and just think that actually it's not too big a deal we have time it's not my problem it's again yeah. like you said disassociating themselves with it so maybe it is in part opening up the conversation and directly speaking to people who have the funds because I do agree yeah. with you I think it is such a frustrating barrier that it is money that is stopping this mm. another example of that is um it oh, I've forgotten his name the ceo of boohoo oh what's his name God, i've forgotten oh it's um it's on the tip of my tongue but i um basically he's in terms of boohoo recently their overproduction how much they produce every year every day there is a point where a lot of science research is proving that we've kind of we've gone past the point of what needs to we need to stop producing yeah and we have enough to kind of supply us throughout x amount of years but he's still using this and, and using those resources and, and supplying more and more and more um for more income and john that's where that's his name john little oh, okay yeah <laughs> it's really interesting because i think that's where my anger kind of lies i think you have that that phenomenon of feeling super empowered to do something about it but then you also have you need that anger to really fuel that fire to keep you going because for me i think it is a human responsibility to use kind of earth's resources wisely as well as to you know support the rest of society and ensure collaboration as possible but it's just it just blows my mind that the ceo of boohoo can still keep doing this and whilst now jeff bezos someone like jeff bezos can is starting to support and to, is only just starting to recognize the challenges of climate change and then other billionaires like the ceo of boohoo who's just not he's just not going to touch it it's just not his responsibility it's just not his interest but then this is where it's like, should it be everyone's interest or is it just a human responsibility? That's where it's kind of like, I don't understand how it can um, just be an interest or a trend. It's, it's, it's a human responsibility that we're just doing this to ourselves. So this is where I think whether it's law or money that should come in, I, yeah. It's really holding the people who make the decisions accountable for them. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, it's such a tricky conversation to have as well because I'm, I really don't like the blame game. Like I really don't um, tend to be the person to point fingers, but it gets to the point where when, when things are wrong, they need to be exposed and it has to be addressed because a lot of people's futures are on the line here and it's not just something that's um, going to be a problem. It's, 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 a, it's an overriding issue. I do think social media has had a big part to play in that recently with, 
doing a lot of good influence, especially when it comes to fast fashion and um, eth more ethical fashion mm -hmm. with workers' rights. We, see, we saw the pay up campaign this summer, which has unlocked something crazy like $7.9 billion um, yeah. for workers' pay and had over 90,000 signatures, which is brilliant. So I, I do think mm. social media can be a really good tool to really spread awareness and open up these conversations. Yeah, I think it's, I've heard loads of people recently, a lot of climate activists get really slammed on social media. I've had, I've literally seen ridiculous amount of comments saying that posting that reel isn't going to do anything or making that post isn't going to do anything, like go and actually drive some action. And it's just so infuriating to see other people tear people down like that, because especially when it's the, the people that I learn off as well, because they don't, a lot of people who are kind of just chucking those um, accusations out there, like a lot of people who make those uh, reels, make those conversations, bring up that topic. It really does inspire my work and then inspire my action. And without that information accessible to me, I wouldn't know about a lot of these issues. And I find that it educates me, let alone, um, you know, someone who might not be interested in this kind of thing. So I think social media plays a huge role in education and I think education will be the kind of foundation of it. Whoever kind of knocks it, um, I think it's kind of, uh, it's an easy thing to knock, I think. And um, whether they're frustrated because a lot of things are kind of being made on trend, I guess reels are very much kind of um, trending. But that's the point. To watch, so if you can get your message across on reels, brilliant there hopefully they'll be shown to lots and lots of people so actually again a great tool you may hate them but they do serve a purpose i think it's so clever to be honest because um something like communication through a reel you make a problem that is neglected and not talked about you can make it go mainstream so i think it's actually a really great communication system that um you can use it wisely i think people can use it wrong especially because there's misinformation that can be spread which is obviously the major danger and, and the flaw in it. And like at the moment, again, because of this um, overall climate crisis, we need collaboration. And I think social media connects people. Can you, you can collaborate. And I think that's ultimately going to be um, a really important driving factor for change. So coming back to Earth Minutes, and again, your two fundamental principles of creativity and optimism. What is next? What is next in store for you uh, moving forward it's a great question <laughs> it's a very big question i know <laughs> where to start so much in the pipeline i'm sure yeah we um it i think that's the problem sometimes you can get really excited and obviously i want to just produce so much content and i want to tackle so many different environmental challenges that you really have to prioritize which is the major challenge as well as with resources as well and pandemics and all kind of hesitate it a little bit for Earth Minutes, it's really diversifying and transcending into more the environmental education sector. I think from just producing content and working with a lot of students, because I feel very passionate about issues like eco-anxiety, I've kind of recognised um, there are so many different issues within educational curriculums, especially the environmental curriculum, whether it's the way you learn about the environment may not be the most sustainable way of doing so 
or whether it's to do with what your content is, whether it's up to date. I mean, climate change is still not really recognized um, under Key Stage 3, and there's loads of arguments whether it should be or, or not. I think a lot of the problem is that these educational curriculums don't normalize, number one, climate change, but a lot of them current environmental uh, challenges as well. So I think to do that, I want to implement that that content and to use Earth Minutes as a resource to do that. So we're going to going down that route mainly. It's an issue that I keep coming across and, and stumbling into, and it's just something that I need to solve now that I've found it. So that's where we're kind of going. And we're working with different unis across the UK at the moment, and I hope to expand that. Brilliant. And if you could leave our listeners with one final piece of advice or ask or plea of something they can do today to help fight the climate crisis. Okay, that's a really good question. I think I'm going to be quite broad. I think as one piece of advice, I would just say, start diving into that conversation yourself, but also just start having that conversation with other people about the climate crisis, about climate change, about how people are kind of living their lifestyles because overall the as i keep saying the climate crisis is frustrating me so much the way we've done so much research but we're not actually having that conversation about how it's actually impacting an individual's life and it's not a normalized accessible conversation and even on our media or broadcasting systems in uk broadcasting from 2017 to 18 Um, Albert BAFTA found that I think it was like 300 times climate change was mentioned whilst cake, Brexit, all the other words, um, what was it, cats, (laughs) were mentioned so much more than something like climate change which just shows that it's just not a relatable conversation. So if you can have that conversation, start that conversation with your family, with your friends, it just makes it a little bit more accessible day by day without knowing it. And um, I know that doesn't sound like it's going to change the world, but it's a massive step to actually start getting you to think about what you're buying, what you're doing, how you're doing it. So I think it's quite um, a fundamental starting space. I think that's a great piece of advice. Start conversations and normalise them. Even if you said, what is it? <laughs> Even if you just said, Why? <laughs> what, what is to there to know? you have to start somewhere and rather than jumping into somewhere driving action trying to manage your carbon footprint you kind of have to fumble your way through the understanding and fumble your way to relating to it a little bit more to kind of get to that point so that yeah that's what I'd recommend to start with definitely thank you so much for coming on Emma and where can people find you and Earth Minutes on social media so you can find Earth Minutes at, um, at Earth Minutes UK and we're also at www.earthminutes.co.uk. Same as our YouTube as well. So yes, please get in touch with any questions. I'm always um, keen for a chat. Fab, and I will link them all in the show notes below. Oh, thank, thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the first episode of season three. I really hope you enjoyed it. As always, please share, subscribe and review as it really does help spread the word the podcast. See you next week with a new guest. Bye.